10, and that's found on page 966 in the Bibles that have been provided for you there in your rows. Second Corinthians 5, beginning at verse 1. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent, in this tent, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal, mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Let us pray together. Lord, I do thank you so much for... This day, Lord, we thank you for the great report uh, from Dan and Lisa and from Maddie and Holly of what you are doing in their lives and what you did in the the Dominican and continue to do there as teams go back year after year. Lord, we thank you for the reminder that you are indeed building your church. And Lord, we thank you for also the work that you are doing in the lives of students that are our learning of, of the importance of living lives for your glory. Lord, I pray for us this morning during this brief time in your word. Lord, that you would open our eyes to the wonderful things that are set before us in your word this morning. That your spirit would be at work, Lord, further shaping us into the image of Christ. Uh, Lord, that we would be open to... Uh, the care and the comfort and even the conviction that your spirit brings. Uh, And Lord, that you would be further glorifying yourself in our lives. Lord, do good to your people through the preaching of your word. Help me, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I know for sure that we have at least four visitors with us this morning, so it would be important just to take a moment just to give you a sense of where we are in the book of Second Corinthians. Uh, it is our process here of, of, of working through entire books of the Bible, um, and obviously we are here in Second Corinthians. Uh, I don't know if we were in First Corinthians last time that you guys were with us, uh, Dan and Lisa, but... Uh, it seemed like a good time to get into Second Corinthians, and uh, we are a good ways in here now in chapter 5, and, and where we find ourselves in Second Corinthians is really Paul giving a defense and description of his ministry as an apostle and also the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, now we know, those of us who have been here for, our, uh, for this study for a while, that 
the Apostle Paul was, was under attack from many in the church in Corinth. They were attacking his trustworthiness. They were attacking his authority. They were uh, attacking uh, even his validity as an apostle. And so Paul is, is, is writing to, to, to bring the church back in line, if you will, to, to, to remind them of what is true, and he does so lovingly and powerfully and, and graciously. And here in chapter 5, he's, he, he's furthering uh, what we could refer to as a rabbit trail, but really it's an actually, actually a very theologically rich description of the ministry of the gospel and really what we can expect, too, as believers who are seeking to be faithful in this lost and dying world. I'm going to allude to the immediate context more specifically in, in, under point one this morning. But, but it's important that we have an idea of where Paul is and where he is going. Paul's ministry was, well, was a ministry of glory. He, he pointed that out in chapter 4, that, that, that the ministry of the gospel was a ministry that was even greater than the ministry that Moses had in the Old Testament in delivering the law to the people. The, the gospel is more glorious because in the gospel, Jesus fulfills the law of God in order to restore those who turn to him in faith to God. It's a ministry of transformation as the Holy Spirit is as, as at work, as the gospel is proclaimed. God is bringing light into darkened hearts as unbelievers are turning to Christ in faith. We heard two testimonies of that this morning. Praise God. And that is the testimony of each one of us who have been reconciled to God through faith in Christ. This ministry of the gospel, through it, God has opened our heart and our mind to the truth of who he is and of what Christ has done. But the ministry of the gospel is also a ministry of suffering. In fact, it's not just the ministry of the gospel, is it? If you live on this earth for, for any significant amount of time, we all have become what? Acquainted with grief and suffering in this life. Now, it's not something that we glory in necessarily or even long for, but it's important to understand that it is real life. Dan had shared just from the past year how, how even at a college, how, how that ministry has been touched by loss. We, as a church, have been touched by loss. We have dealt with illnesses and injury. It's real life. But, but the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of, of being reconciled to God is that we have been saved to a greater reality. Not only do we experience salvation in this life, but we have the promise of a greater life to come in eternity. And that's where we find the Apostle Paul this morning. He is reminding the church in Corinth and, and by extension us of the great realities that await each one who has been saved by the grace of God. And brothers and sisters, it is my prayer this morning that, 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 that this 
look at the reality of death and suffering in this life will not be something that depresses us, but, but the truth that we find here sets us free to be even more faithful and more joyful as we deal with the trials that we will inevitably face in this life. I've broken this passage up under three headings this morning that I'm going to try to work through quickly. Uh, The first is found in verses 1 through 4, and it is entitled, Of Tabernacles and Temples. Let's look at these verses yet again. The Apostle Paul writes, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Indeed, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is, that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now again, I mentioned I would give a little bit more of the immediate context, and I want to do that right now by reading Second uh, Corinthians chapter four, verses seven through eighteen. That gives us a a better picture of the context of where Paul is in his description of the ministry. Paul writes, but we have this treasure, the treasure of the gospel through which God illuminates the hearts and minds of people, bringing them to a saving knowledge of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase in thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul's writing about the reality of the sufferings that he and his fellow apostles and ministers suffered in order to bring the gospel to the churches. And he's picking up on this very same idea in chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. He, he continues with, with, with what would have been a familiar analogy for Paul. He, he refers to his body as a tent. We know that Paul supported himself as a missionary, as a, as a tent maker. He knew a little something about tents, did he not? And so do we. 
We know that what tents are what they are are, are temporary structures. They're, they're, they're not intended to be up permanently. We know that tents offer very little protection from elements, from the elements and also from enemies. They are made of cloth or, or, or some other soft material. They may block a little rain and a little wind, but if it's cold out, it's cold in also. In fact, any of us who have camped probably more than once, if you've been out in the rain, even a good tent will leak if it rains enough. Brings to mind a, a camping trip that we went on with, a, with a family, uh, another family in this congregation. I won't mention their names, but we were camping in a campground in our little family tent, and they were up on a hill in a, in a nice RV-type uh, fifth wheel and, and we were happy in our little tent, but in the middle of the night, the, the five wickers heard the rain coming. And the rain was pouring. And the water was dropping on my face in the tent. And so eventually we all got out of the tent, and the five of us were cramped and asleep in our truck as our friends were on the hill, warm and dry, in their fifth wheel. I know they heard the rain. And I know they were laughing, but they've yet to admit to it yet. They aren't made to live in full time. They are temporary. Buildings, on the other hand, are much different, are they not? Buildings are fortified. Buildings are meant to last, right? You are in a building that construction was began on in the 1800s. Now, it's a little worse for wear, but it's still here, is it not? It's costing us a little bit of money to keep it up, isn't it, Jonathan? But it is still here. We are warm inside and it is cold outside. Were it to rain right now, we would remain dry. It was built to last and it has lasted. That's what buildings are for. They are fortified. They are secure. Buildings are temporary, but our tents are temporary, but buildings are for the long Hall. And so Paul uses this illustration to describe our earthly bodies, our earthly bodies as they exist right now, here and now, in this fallen world, are not made to last. And all the old people said, Amen, right? It was hard to get up this morning. Things hurt, disease comes, injuries happen. And the older you get, the harder it is to get over it. But there is a greater reality and a greater promise from God. And that is the promise of, of, a, of a new building, a new body from the Lord. It's funny, Paul doesn't use the word tent because our new bodies, our glorified bodies, our resurrected bodies are going to be for the long haul. So, so Paul very skillfully and particularly changes the name for what our bodies will be in eternity. 
We're not going to be simply disembodied souls. At the return of Christ, we will receive glorified bodies that will be designed to last forever. Praise God. No longer under the the weight of sin. No longer stained by the effects of sin. No longer drawn into temptation because we have experienced the pleasures of sin. And so Paul says, listen, this is temporary, but there is something greater to come. What what a beautiful promise. Some commentators believe that Paul is actually making a a, a comparison between the the tabernacle in the Old Testament and, and the temple that would have been in Jerusalem at that time. The tabernacle we know from the Old Testament was what? It was a a really big tent. Elaborate, yes. But it was made to to be packed up and taken from one place to another. It was a place where the presence of God would dwell. But it was God's design that one day that when the people of God entered into the city of God, that there would be a place, a permanent place, where God would be worshipped. Now, were there similarities between the the tabernacle and the temple? Absolutely. It was designed that way, just like there are similarities between what our bodies are like now and what they will be like then. We have the Spirit of God that dwells within us now. We're going to see that a little bit later. We have the opportunity to, to glorify God in how we live. We're going to see that a little bit later. In fact, we have the responsibility to glorify God in how we live. These are all ways that our, our temporary tents are a hint of what is to come when they are fully glorified. Because at that time, we will be able to fully honor God in all that we do. What a, what a great reminder. Paul writes in, in, in verse 2 about the groaning that is going on. He says, for in this tent, this body, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Paul knows that what is to come is greater. And this groaning is not a complaining type of groaning. Paul is describing a, a, a groaning that is a longing for something greater. It's important that we see that. Paul understands this this groaning is because he understands there's something better to come. Do we think that way, brothers and sisters? He's groaning for the the glory that is to come, for 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 the removal of the stain of sin in his own life. For the ability to be able to, to, to comprehend God even greater. Because this groaning is a groaning for the true life that we'll experience. Oftentimes, I know for myself, I am very guilty of uh, of falling into the trap of uh, of thinking that the next big thing or the next big thrill is what I should be living for. Okay, if I if I if I if I if I achieve this goal, if I if I if I am successful on this hunt, then 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 I'm going to be happy. And there is joy in this life. But understand, brothers and sisters, we aren't truly living yet. We're alive. And we get a foretaste, we get a a hint of, of greater life to come. But understand something. 
when we pass from this life to the next, it's better. It is better. And and that is what Paul is making abundantly clear here. We long for true life because it is in the presence of God. That doesn't make this life unimportant. We're going to see that. But we need to recognize that, that all the, the, the trinkets and, 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 and triviality that, that, that we are drawn to, it, they're all counterfeits to the real thing. So Paul says that we're groaning for the life that is to come, true life. And, and this really is a, a timely reminder of what is truly important the bodies that are to come will no longer be under the stain of sin we there's nothing we can compare that to we can we can read about the life of jesus who never sinned but we have never lived one day on this earth where we were not affected by sin in some way now i'm not convinced that paul fully could grasp the greatness of what awaited him, but he knew enough to know that it was way, way better than the life he was living then. And this was an apostle. (laughs) He wrote most of the New Testament. Brothers and sisters, we must learn to live our lives with an eye to the greater reality that awaits us. Because that is the key for for present faithfulness in this life. You want to know how you're going to deal with with the bad diagnosis when it comes or the the unexpected news of a a loved one that we've lost or or, or an accident that may happen or or, or fill in the blank. How are we going to deal with that? We are only going to persevere as we rest in the knowledge that there is much greater things that await us because of Christ. We can suffer now in the short term if we can comprehend the greater joy that awaits us, not just long term, but eternally. It doesn't get longer than that. We must change the way we think, brothers and sisters, about this life and the life to come. R. Kent Hughes writes this. It says, The apostles, Paul's longing, was not for death as such, but to be clothed with his heavenly dwelling, because by being clothed in his new resurrection body, he would not be found naked, that, that is, exposed to the shame of judgment for sins he might commit. When we put on those new bodies, when, when our bodies are glorified by God for God's glory... Temptation's out the door. No more sin. No more suffering. No more effects of sin. That's what Paul means by not being found naked. It's like when we drop this body off, we're not naked. We're putting on something greater, something fuller, something eternal. 
We must order our lives around this. And, and Paul strengthens his argument by pointing us to an unbreakable promise in verses 5 through 8. He continues, He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Paul begins by, by pointing out that, that, that God is both the source and the securer of eternal life. That, that word prepared in, in the Greek in verse 5, it means to, to produce or to accomplish Something. So it's clear that, that Paul is, is pointing us to the fact that, that, that salvation is a work of God. God who has saved us prepares us for this. And, and he's given us his spirit as a guarantee. That's a great sentence. That indwelling of the spirit is, is, is the proof that we are secure in Christ. Now, we, we, we should camp here for a moment because a lot of times when we are living in this world, what happens? We struggle, do we not? We struggle with our faith. We, we struggle against sin. We struggle with failure. We're, we're tempted to doubt. And, and in our flesh, we look at our lives and, and we begin to wonder, how could God ever love me or save me? Right? Have you not been there before? And if we simply depend on how we feel, we will never have a sense of true security in the Lord. Now, we should not be okay to live in unrepentant sin. We, we should not be okay with that. But we must never forget that salvation is a work of God. We have been saved by grace, God's gift, through faith in what Christ has done for us. And the proof... That we are in Christ is the fact that the Spirit of God resides within us. Paul says that God has given us His Spirit as a guarantee. That, that word guarantee means a payment in advance for security. Interestingly, it's morphed. In, in modern Greek, it's the same word they use as an engagement ring now. Engagement ring is what? It's a, it's a promise of something greater to come. The marriage. I think that's a beautiful picture of, uh, of the presence of the Spirit within us as followers of Christ. The Spirit guarantees that we are God's. And as we understand that our, uh, the, more of our security, this leads to a greater confidence as we face trials in this life. We've been secured in Christ. We've been sealed or marked by the Spirit. We must never forget that we are His. We belong to Him. And this leads to, to growth. And as we grow in our understanding of our salvation, we, we grow in our faith. We trust God more. Because we recognize since He has done all this in order to bring us into His kingdom, how will he not carry us all the way home? And as we grow in our faith, we also grow in our desire to draw near and to be present with the God who saved us. 
We weren't saved simply to escape the hell that we deserved. That's a benefit. We weren't saved simply so that we could live forever. That's a benefit. But we were saved by God for God. That we would be restored to him. God is the point of heaven. God is the point of the gospel. And we must not lose sight of this. And we should cultivate within ourselves desires to know him more. I I loved hearing the the ladies talk about their morning devotions, both by themselves and then as a group, and talking about what they were learning from God's word. I I, I hope that 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 is a a discipline that, that you'll take with you away from the Dominican throughout the rest of your life. And, and those in this church will tell you that, that that is why I encourage us all to. We need to be in the Word so we can know the God who gave us His Word. Because as we come to know Him, you are going to want to be with Him. Paul wasn't afraid to die because he understood, Philippians, that dying meant gain. He was gladly willing to go. And that begs the question, do we really think about life and death this way? If Christ is our treasure, if that reconciliation to God is the goal of the gospel, how is this truth not shaping everything about us? It changes everything about us. The word identity is a, is a hot word in Christian circles these days. Who we are, our identity, must be wrapped up completely in who we are in Christ. Paul's purpose was simple. If he was to live He wanted to do everything he could to reflect the glory of God in his life. And if he was to die, praise God, it was about time. Spurgeon says this about the Christian life. He says, but dear friends, the main point in which the present state is at a disadvantage compared with the future one is this, talking about life versus Uh, our present life versus the future glory we have in Christ. It says that here we have to live entirely by faith. We walk here by faith, not by sight. You believe in God, but you have not beheld his glory as the blessed dead have done. You believe in our Lord Jesus Christ, but but it is in one whom having not seen you love. You believe in the Holy Spirit and you have been conscious of his presence by faith, but there, is a, but there is a something better yet. A clearer sight is yet to be had, which we cannot enjoy while we tarry here. That's a beautiful picture, right? We experience, just like the earth or the Old Testament tabernacle, they, they, there were aspects where, 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 where God was glorified in that, but it was pointing to something greater. The same is true in our earthly bodies. 
We understand what it means to trust God when, when we can't see what is coming next. We have to do it each and every day. We understand what it means to, to have to trust God in the midst of trials. We understand what it means to experience aspects of having the, the Spirit of God within us. We, we know what it means to be convicted of sin. We know what it is to be comforted. We know what it is to have understanding of the Word of God. We know what it is to, to, to say we love the Lord, but the day is coming when, when all these foretastes of God's glory become reality, when we look on Him with our eyes, when we love Him with hearts that are fully glorified, when our worship of Him is pure and unstained by our sinful preferences. This will be a great day indeed. In fact, brothers and sisters, it'll be a day that we were each created for. This is the warm-up. There's a greater day to come. Paul wraps up this section with, by giving us a target every Christian must aim for, verses 9 and 10. He continues, so whether we at home, are at home or away, live alive or, or, or in eternity, truly living, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now that word aim in the Greek is a very interesting word. We, we tend to think, at least I do, of, of, of shooting at a target or, or something like that. We want to hit something. There's a goal and, and there's something to that in what Paul has written here. But the, the Greek word that's translated aim actually describes ambition that is driven by love. Our aim, because we love him, is to please him. Well, what does it mean to please him? Well, I'm glad you asked. The target is to, is to please God, and that word please literally means that which is acceptable and honoring to God. Those things that are fitting for who God is. Paul said that's our goal, that's our ambition. We, we use that word ambition, and we often think what? Of, of selfish things, Right? That guy's driven. He, he, he wants to, to, to make a million bucks by the time he's 30. Or he wants to be the, the CEO of his country, com, uh, company. He's ambitious. Well, there is an ambition that is not centered on self, but an ambition that is centered on that which pleases God. And that's what Paul is writing about here. We make it our aim to please him. Why? Because we will have to give an account later. This is one of those things that we don't often like to think about or, or, or talk about as Christians, but the reality is, is that there is a judgment that awaits us as well. And Paul alludes to that very clearly in verse 10. He says, For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body. Now, it's important that we are comforted here because although we are going to be judged for how we've lived out our faith, it is not a, a judgment unto salvation or to condemnation. Jesus bore God's wrath that we would be reconciled to God. This judgment is 
has everything to do with our faithfulness in this life. It's a judgment that ultimately, even though there will be things that are lost, that will lead us to a greater joy in God in eternity. But it should cause us to stop and think about the importance of faithfulness in our lives. Now again, we're not looking to earn or, 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 or gain greater standing with God. Christ has secured that. But Scripture is clear that, that, that God will reward faithfulness in this life. And the anticipation or the expectation of Scripture is that faithfulness will be a priority for those that follow the Lord. What we aim for now, brothers and sisters, will directly influence what we hear then from God. And it should be our desire, as those who have been redeemed by Christ, to hear the words, well done, from our Lord and Master. Sam Storms summarizes this probably much better than I could, so hear this. Says our deeds, our, our works, do not determine our salvation, but they demonstrate it. They are not the root of our standing with God, but the fruit of it, a standing that is already attained by faith alone in Christ alone. The visible evidence of an invisible faith, our invisible faith, are the good deeds that will be made known at the judgment seat of Christ. So the day is coming when the evidence of our faith will be made clear to all. And God will be honored by those things that we did for him. May we make it our goal to do all things for the glory of God. I'm out of time, so I'll close with some... with a question. Did you know... Brothers and sisters, did you know that what awaits you is far greater than what you have right now? So don't be afraid. Whatever you face in this life, do not fear. Because he's got you. Did you know that a greater glory and joy awaits us eternally and this should strengthen us to be more faithful now? Order our lives now with an eye to what is to come. Prioritize the things of God. Did you know the presence of the Holy Spirit within us is a constant reminder that we belong to God? We need not fear anything we face in this life, even death. Immerse yourself in the promises of God found in His Word. They will strengthen you to stand up under trial. Did you know that your greatest ambition in life should be to reflect God's greatness and glory? We should check ourselves to be sure that those are, that's the priority in our life. And finally, did you know that the judgment seat of Christ will be the place where our efforts at honoring God in this life will reveal an even greater glory to God? Some of you are laboring away and you are seeking to be faithful day after day after day and it feels like no one notices, not even God. The more you do, the harder things seem to get. 
Well, understand, there will be a day that everything that you've done in the name of the Lord will be validated. Those who haven't appreciated it in this life will hear it broadcast from the lips of God. And that truly will be a great day. Will we live with that day in view? We are secure in Christ. But will we order our lives now in a way that shows that we want to glorify him then? Let us pray together. Lord, I thank you for your word. I, again, thank you so much for all that you are doing. Lord, I thank you for these dear brothers and sisters. Uh, Thank you for Dan and Lisa and the work of FCA. Lord, thank you for uh, saving uh, Maddie and Holly. And Lord, we pray that you would just continue to, to strengthen